this morning as we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. And for some of you, you're going, wait, what? I know about Christmas when Christ comes and we celebrate his birth. I know about Good Friday when we talk about Jesus' crucifixion. I know about Easter when we celebrate the resurrection. But what is the ascension and why does it matter? Well, the ascension is when Christ not just rose from the grave, but 40 days after he came out of the tomb, he rose up to heaven. And uh, we don't talk about it much, but it's found all throughout the scripture. If you read Paul's writings, he refers to Jesus being up there. Whatever he's doing, he's up there. But, G- but Paul talks about it in almost every one of his letters. And I think some of the reasons that we don't talk about it is it's just, uh, uh, there's no holiday that we celebrate, like I said. But um, I think as pastors, maybe we haven't done a good job of teaching about the ascension of Jesus and everything that it packs, because it packs a punch when you begin to understand the significance of it. We just, we don't know the meaning. We don't talk about the meaning of Christ being up there, doing whatever he's doing up there. But we're going to fix that today. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to look at it from Acts chapter 1, but we're going to be all over the word, because I, wanna, I want you to kind of leave here today having a totally different outlook on your life because you understand the ascension of Christ. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses, uh, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. Uh, Luke starts off Acts by saying, I, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was, what? Taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was what? Taken up. As they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we read your word and as we understand where you are even right now and what you're doing right now as, as, as the ascended one, that we might uh, have a new boldness in our life. That as we begin to see the reality of our situations, we might grasp by faith onto the place where you are right now, and that that might give us great boldness. And all God's people said, as you follow Jesus, would you say that you do so with boldness? Are you a, a bold follower of Jesus? 
Right now you're thinking, you're, you're scanning your life, you're wondering, what evidence is there? Am I a bold follower of Jesus? Or, or am I bored? Am I a bored follower of Jesus? Look, look at your prayers. Are your prayers to Jesus, would you say they're more bold or boring? Are they bold or boring? Or, or, or are you bored with prayer in general? What about talking about Christ? Are you timid as you think about sharing Christ with your friends, with your family, as you think about sharing this great news of the gospel? Does that scare you or, or do you feel emboldened to do it? You know, as you look at your life and as you look at what you have on your plate personally, do you feel bold or discouraged by what you have to face in your life today? I think that as we look inside and we keep looking inside and as we look inside for power, we will inevitably, inevitably get, bo uh, get uh, bored, we'll get discouraged and we'll eventually get scared. If we look inside for the power to live out our life, we will get bored, discouraged and scared. But if we look up, if we look up to Jesus, ascended into heaven, it will change our viewpoint and by faith make us bold people. Today's sermon's entitled, Look Up, Live Bold. As we grasp onto the ascension of Jesus and all its significance and all its power, as we look up to him where he is and what he's doing right this minute, it will inevitably make timid people into bold people. It will make bored prayers into bold prayers. And it will take those who are discouraged and give them hope. In our passage in verse 9, it, it, Luke writes that Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, if, if we were all to ask, you know, what, what happened? Jesus, just did he go into heaven? Is he playing a harp? Is he floating on the clouds? What happened in the ascension? Where did he go and, and what is he doing? Why does it matter? Well, throughout the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament keep coming back to this fact that Christ has ascended and, and where he is now and what he's doing now changes everything for us. Peter writes, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, subject to him. Peter's telling us that he didn't just go into the heavens. He's not doing space travel somewhere. He's in the realm of heaven and he's holding a position of power there at the right hand of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, he tells us what, what is he doing when he, when he got there? It says that God exercised power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. Jesus went to heaven to sit down. Jesus went to heaven to sit down. Now, you stand when you're doing something. 
but you sit down when you're done doing it. Jesus went to heaven because his work on earth was completed and he sat down because he had accomplished our redemption. He had bought us back from sin and slavery by his death on the cross. In his resurrection, he had given us new life. And when he ascends to heaven, he rises up into the presence of the Father, completed with his work, and he sits down because he did it all. Into a place of posi- and into a place and position of power. The right hand of God is symbolic for a position of authority and power. When Jesus ascended, he wasn't just going to heaven because he didn't have anything else to do. He wasn't just going to be back with the Father. He is being exalted as king. He is being given all authority. All things are being placed under his power. In Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not most authority, all authority has been given to him. You see, Jesus ascends into heaven to be enthroned as the king of the universe. And he is seated in authority over all things. What's even more amazing about this is that Jesus didn't go to heaven as some spiritual, supernatural ghost. When he rose from the dead, he was still fully man. Fully God, fully man. And the God-man ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And what that means is that a human being has the most powerful position in the universe. Now, some people say that Christianity degrades humanity. It demeans humanity. It subjugates humanity. But I want to say that a human being The God-man, Jesus Christ, being in the the greatest position of power shows Christianity helps humanity flourish. Another pastor, my friend Tim LaCroix, says this, The ascension of Christ means that human dignity and worth is fulfilled, cemented, and magnified. Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. That means that a human being, a man, is now sitting in the heaven and ruling the entire cosmos. Our humanity is raised and ascended with him. This magnifies the dignity and worth of all human beings. Other races and nations of human beings are not in any way lesser than you. We all share a common humanity, and that humanity has been raised up in Jesus Christ. Your bodies are beautiful because Jesus Christ has ascended. A human being with a real human body is the king of all. You have been raised up. With Christ, a human being, the God-man, is in the most significant position of power in the entire universe. And he sat down in that position, not to get up and take a break, but to to rule and reign. And let me tell you, there's only one spot at the right hand of God, and Jesus occupies it. I don't occupy it. You don't occupy it. No one you know occupies it. No other thing or no other person occupies it. Jesus deserves that spot because he has defeated death. He has conquered sin. He is victorious over hell. And he has stopped the work of Satan. He occupies that spot. And that should help you live bold. That should help you live bold. Because that thing that worries you, it's not Lord of the universe. Your bills 
They're not enthroned in power. That illness that you're fighting right now is not king of the cosmos. Jesus is. Your feelings or, or your pain inside, they're not on the throne. Linking up with someone special, although you think that would set your universe right, there's only one person who can set the universe right, and that's Christ the King. Your boss might have power, but they are not king of the cosmos. No institution is in that place. This church is not in that place. No unjust oppressor can rule and reign like Jesus can. The pushers and the pimps on the corner might have power, but they are not King Jesus. The Oval Office does not have the right hand of God inside it. ISIS is not in power. Even the grave is not in power. Christ is king. He is Lord of the universe. He is enthroned in power. And no one can dethrone him. That is his spot. And so look, you might face things in this life that hurt you. You might face things in this life that take your money. You might even be in a situation where someone takes your life, but they are not king. Jesus is king. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God in power, and all things are under his feet. Abraham Kuyper says that Jesus looks at the entire cosmos, and he looks at every square inch of it, and he goes, mine. I'm in charge. I'm in power. I have the rightful seat at the right hand of God. So live boldly. Your king is seated on the throne, and no one can topple him. It is his spot. Some might say, listen, I'm thinking about this, and I know that you're telling me Jesus is in power, but then why is the world such a broken place? I mean, if Jesus is ruling and reigning, it sure doesn't seem like Jesus is in charge. And what we're talking about is how Jesus shows his power. And there's a lot of confusion about that. The disciples in this passage were confused as well. See, Jesus taught them for 40 days about his kingdom, taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And just by way of getting to know me, if I could insert myself at any point in the Bible, it would be for those 40 days. I would love to sit under Jesus' feet and have him tell me for 40 days about the kingdom of God. But he told the disciples that. And afterwards, they say, is it now that you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Is it now that you're going to give us that political kingdom that you've been talking about? And Jesus is like, that, that's not even the point. You missed it. You missed the last 40 days. Jesus' kingdom is not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom. That doesn't mean it's not real. It just means it manifests itself differently. Jesus' rule and reign and authority doesn't look like the kingdoms of this world. It looks like God's blended family joining together to worship him. The invisible kingdoms made visible on Sunday mornings when we gather together and say, King Jesus is our Lord. Let's praise and let's worship him together. And it's also seen as our lives change, as he changes our lives, as we submit to him as king, and he gets into our hearts and he changes the things that we value and the things that we love and our priorities in our lives. He, as we learn about his love, he puts his love in us and we become more loving. As we learn about his concern for justice, we become much more just people and display his justice and his mercy and his grace. 
Michael Williams says it this way, the kingdom has invaded, it is here, without disrupting the present order. In other words, it doesn't look like the other kingdoms. It grows slowly within human affairs. The reign of sin and death will be destroyed and God's rule will know its full glory when Christ returns. But until that day, the kingdom of God is hidden to all but those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom at present advances not by revolution or overt power, but by the spiritual transformation and the moral reformation of the people of God. The kingdom is seen first and foremost as we submit to Christ as king. And then as he, he changes us, he reforms what we love and what we do and, and what we long for and how we live. Tomorrow's a big day for our family. We're uh, adopting Evie, and I'm so excited. Uh, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a little bit of the story before we even started being foster care parents. See, my, my wife told me, uh, I think we should do foster care. And I was like, you know, there's lots of Christians out there, honey, who could engage in that. Um, I'm not sure I want to take that risk. I'm not sure I want to live that boldly. And as we walked through that, I began to see that my desires were quite selfish and self-protective, and I didn't really want to risk myself or inconvenience myself. And it really came down to two things for me. Is Jesus on the throne? Yes. And if he's on the throne, how is he making his kingdom known? Through us loving sacrificially. And as I began to understand that thing, my view was transformed. Praise God, he changed me from being self-centered to be willing to risk and be self-sacrificial. And we began to be foster care parents, not knowing if we would get to keep children or we'd have to shepherd them and love them and then give them back. And the most amazing thing about this has been, as I've talked with people who are not followers of Christ, and they've asked me, what if you fall in love with a kid and you have to give that child back? <laughs> Which is one of the reasons I didn't want to get on board in the first place, because I knew it was a risk. I've been able to tell them, you know, that would really be hard. That would really hurt. But how else are we going to love if we're not willing to be bold and risk? Because that's how King Jesus loves. That's how Christ on the throne loves. And in that moment, selfish me is making known, making visible the invisible kingdom of Jesus. And as I've told that to people about the risk, they've literally stopped and had nothing else to say. I'm not bragging on myself. I told you my first desire, but King Jesus changed me in order to make his kingdom known. The moral reformation, the spiritual transformation in our heart is how he lets the world know he is in charge. He takes dead people, spiritually dead people, and makes them alive. He brings the gospel into our lives and renews us. So live boldly. Jesus is seated on the throne. Jesus is not only seated on the throne in his ascension, but the authors of the New Testament also tell us that he, he steps in. He steps in. In other words, he's not just a king who rules and reigns, but he's also a priest who is sent to, into the heavens to represent you before God, to represent 
you before God. See, on the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty for your sins. It was his great sacrifice. And in the resurrection, when he rises, he's vindicated by God, and you're given new life. But in the ascension, he arises with everything that he's done and everything that he is and presents himself to God. All the work that Jesus has done comes together when he ascends to heaven on your behalf. And now that your representative is there, it gives you incredible boldness before God the Father. Paul writes in Ephesians 12, in Jesus, we have what? Boldness and confident access through faith in him. And in Hebrews 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And here you go. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive grace receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. About 10 years ago, Prince William, the eventual king of England, went out into the streets of London at night when it was chilly out. And his goal was one thing. He wanted to live among the homeless people in London and get to know them so that he could better represent them. And, and there's pictures of him, you know, he's out there, he's got his coat on, he spent all, out, all night with those who had no place to go, um, and he's surrounded by security, of course. And it was a noble gesture, it really was. And now the homeless in London have a, a representatives of sorts in Buckingham Palace. But I started to think about it, and I said, you know, it's not that he did the wrong thing, it's just that it really lacks power. And here's why. If someone who lived on the streets said, Prince William knows my situation. I want to go talk to him. They couldn't just go up to the fence surrounding the palace and say, hey, I, I got a problem. I'm in trouble. I want to talk to Prince William. Where is he? Send him out. Couldn't do that. They have a representative who understands their weakness, but they have no access to him. Here's the thing. We have access to God through Christ we are permitted, encouraged to take a bold step to be those people who come to the fence and say, I will be heard, not because of anything I've done, but because of Jesus and what he has done for me. Approach with confidence. But see, here's the thing. It's not just that we go to the fence and rattle the cages until we're heard. Jesus has taken us inside the palace with him. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. God made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. But he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. See, when Jesus steps into the heavens, he doesn't just represent you. He brings you with him past the fences, past the guards, into the very throne room. Your place is secure. You are positioned with Jesus in heaven. Why wouldn't you pray boldly? 
Why wouldn't you pray boldly? It doesn't have anything to do with your weakness. We've already learned that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. So we approach humbly, but still boldly. And Jesus is the one without sin. When we approach, our sin can't keep us from approaching God because our representative is sinless before God. So we should approach repentantly, but still boldly. It's not about you. It's about the one who steps in, represents, and brings you with him. Pray boldly because you are with Christ in God's presence because what Jesus has done. Physically, you're here, but your position is secured with God in heaven because Jesus steps in on your behalf. Now look, it doesn't matter how you feel. I'm just going to tell you straight up. It doesn't matter if you feel close to God. This has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with where Christ is right now. Your feelings may tell you, you know, I, God's not listening to me. God doesn't love me. He's not hearing my prayers. None of that's true. Your representative is in heaven and your position is secure with him. So pray boldly. God has always wanted us in his presence. It, it was us who first sinned against him in the garden. And God still went looking for Adam and Eve, saying, Adam, where are you? I, I want to find you. I want to talk to you. And, and our God, the righteous judge, was separated from us relationally because of our sin. And we do risk that eternal separation from him because we have no way to get access to him. But God in his great love for us sent Jesus to be with us, to, to be put on the cross in our place, to be punished in our, in our stead. And, and when he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, he secures our presence with God again so that our prayers are heard and our place is secure in heaven. A paraphrase of John Calvin, he says, basically, heaven is not a pipe dream, but a present possession of the church because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that you've done. And if heaven is ours, then our prayers are heard and we can pray boldly. The ascension means we can pray boldly. Jesus steps in to represent you. So don't keep this good news to yourself. Don't keep the good news of Christ to yourself. Jesus sends power so that we can share the good news boldly. There's a, there's a great need in our world right now to share about Christ. Uh, in North America, I just read a study that one in five people does not have a personal relationship with a Christian. So one in five people, maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're here and you're like, uh, I'm not sure these Christians are a little weird. We admit we are weird. But one in five people doesn't even have a personal relationship with a Christian. Let's forget talking about if, they know, if people know Jesus, but one in five don't even know a Christian. And in light of that, my first response is, well, Jesus, why did you leave? Like there's so many people that need to know you and you're so good at sharing who you are. Why did you leave? Well, Jesus told his disciples, it is for their benefit, for our benefit, that he ascends. Well, Why? When Jesus walked on his earth and he was interacting with people about whether they should believe in him or not, he was one person in one place at one time. He was a physical being. He was a man, the God-man. He was not everywhere. He was in one specific place. But through the ascension, as he, as he becomes king, 
He then now sends the spirit to come into Christians all over the world. And that spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, he is making people across the world and across time and across history into his image so that they can share the message around the world. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's no longer limited by time and space and geography and history. He says, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And now that the spirit has come, we receive power to be his witnesses. Jesus is everywhere through the spirit indwelling in us. And now our role is to share boldly because we have the spirit in us about Christ. From this passage, witnessing isn't so much a verb as it is an identity. We are the witnesses, so therefore we witness. One of the reasons why we keep putting the beach gospel sharing Sunday, we go to the beach once a month and, and share the gospel, is because that's, that's who we're called to be. Jesus has placed New City here to be his witnesses, spirit-empowered witnesses. And we do have that power in us. It's not, a, it's not a feeling, it's a reality. That Christ has sent his spirit and flipped the switch on, so now we have a power to share the gospel. There's a story I read about a woman who went through Hurricane Andrew in 1992, and for 15 years after Hurricane Andrew, she lived without power. She didn't have the money to fix her wiring, so she just lived in her neighborhood without her neighbors even knowing that she was out of electricity. Somehow, a, pub a public official got wind of it, and the mayor of Miami-Dade came, and within a matter of hours, fixed her power and changed her ability to live. That is what the spirit is like in our lives. Jesus pours out his spirit, flips the power on so that you and I have a new ability to witness. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter if you're uh, timid when it comes to people. There is something in you that God is cultivating in order to share about Christ as you are. If you're an introvert, you share him in ways that are introverted. If you're an extrovert and like to talk loud, you share Christ in loud ways. But that power is present in you to make us bold in sharing the gospel, even in this cultural moment. It's no joke right now that being a Christian and trying to share the gospel right now, it feels harder than it ever has. My wife was telling me, about this post she saw on Facebook. Um, Trisha sent her a post about a child just singing about Jesus or something like that. And then, and then the follow-up comments that came about how close-minded these parents were for teaching their child about Jesus and just railing against who would do this, you know. And Virginia got really discouraged because she's like, man, what a moment we live in where we can't even put something on Facebook without people accusing us of being close-minded bigots but the spirit is in us to share the gospel at this cultural moment. And we have ways that we can learn how to, by the spirit's help, learn how to share Jesus winsomely. You know, I think about uh, one of my spiritual heroes, Tim Keller, um, he'll sit down with people and he'll talk with them. You know, the spirit empowers him to share the gospel and they'll start off the conversation and the person he's talking with will say, um, 
listen, I, I, I don't think we can have any spiritual truth and know that with certainty. And I think all people who are really religious are closed-minded and bigoted. And Keller will just listen to them for a while, and then he'll just start sharing the gospel with them. And about halfway through him sharing the gospel, they'll go, wait a minute, what are you trying to do? And he'll go, I'm trying to evangelize you. I'm trying to get you to convert. And they'll say, well, that's very closed-minded and narrow-minded of you, but I love how he just puts it out there. And then when he responds to him, he says, listen, each of us believe in a spiritual reality. You believe that no one can know anything, and you're trying to convince me of that. I'm merely trying to convince you that I believe Jesus is king. So don't call me narrow-minded when you yourself are not open to my viewpoint, yet are trying to convince me of your viewpoint. The point is this, there are ways to engage our culture with the gospel even in this moment. And if, you, if, you, if you're interested by that, I would point you to Carol's 117 group. They were doing a book by, by Tim Keller and it's really effective and good. We're called to be bold even in this cultural moment even if someone calls us closed-minded, even if someone calls us bigoted, it might be in that very moment that God uses you to share about Christ. We're called to be bold in this culture and also make the most of opportunities. As Jesus sends power through his ascension, we are to share boldly in the opportunities that we have. A pastor was in New York and... Um, I wish these weren't stories about pastors, but they are, uh, because I want to empower you, but I'll share the story anyway. He was in New York for a conference for about two weeks, and every night he went to the same restaurant, and he got the same waitress every night. Her name was Fiona. It was like an Irish restaurant. And finally, they started up a conversation about what he did, and, and, and he knew that she had seen a lot of brokenness in the church. She'd seen sexual abuse. She'd seen moral failures in the church in Ireland. Um, yet he decided he wasn't going to back down from that. He was going to be bold and creatively think of a way to tell her about Christ. And so what he says, his, his, name, was, um, his name was Hugh Halter. He says, I simply talked with her about the kingdom, King Jesus. He said, Fiona, Jesus came to offer an alternative way of life from all the exclusive religious, sectarian, and sinful ways people live. He called it the kingdom, and it was huge for people back in the day and also for anyone looking for the real God. Fiona responded, I've never heard about the kingdom. Tell me more. His final night in town, he came to say goodbye to her before going back to his hometown, but he heard Fiona yell over a crowded room, that's the guy I was telling you about. You've got to hear how he talks about God. And as the barroom split, all her friends came over and she looked, at, uh, she looked at Hugh and said, tell them what you told me. You know, all that stuff about the kingdom. See, he was bold by making the most of an opportunity. Two weeks in New York City, same restaurant every night, just engaged her. And all of a sudden he has this platform to speak about King Jesus. And it wasn't necessarily just him changing the room through the power of the Spirit, he, he went on to say that it was the Spirit changing him as he took a step of faith and being bold. He wrote, that night everything changed for me. I started an entirely new spiritual journey that pulled me out of my jaded consumeristic Christianity. What happened next? We simply grabbed a few friends and started a community that was committed to living out 
in inviting others into kingdom ways of life. Before we knew it, a church was started without us even trying. Jesus sends power through the Holy Spirit to the real you because he's ascended on the throne so that you can share the gospel boldly. Are you scared? Look up. Are you bored? Look up. Are you discouraged? Look up. Your king is seated on the throne. Look up and live bold. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you as the one who is at the right hand of God. We simply just give ourselves to you and say, we're here to be used by you. As we look up to see you, help us to be bold no matter what we're facing. Pray that we would live bold and pray bold and share bold because of where you are and who you are, the king of the entire universe. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me now and let's sing in response.